Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. And remember, when someone describes a man as harmless, he ends up being a villain. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. And did you know that Jewish humor centers around body functions and nudity and being caught in an awkward situation by one's female relatives. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... The subaltern. And dual processual. 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 Processual? Processual. I don't know if you can say that word without sounding a little tipsy, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave that in, Karen. I mean, yep. it's... It's. I usually have trouble, and we usually re-record when I have trouble, but that one is just dual processual. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes, officer. <laughs> <laughs> Mesoamerica was developed in dual processual. <laughs> and then when the Aztecs of the Incas got together and they partied... <laughs> There is some drunken partying in the book we're going to talk about. That's true. Today, we'll be talking about Rebecca Roanhorse's Black Sun, which is available at fine booksellers everywhere. She also has a sequel, Dan. Which, yeah, how to put this gently. If you don't like cliffhangers, buy both of these books at the same time. <laughs> or buy you, neither of them. It's, it's what Basically, that's your choice. by cliffhangers. Yeah. Either yep. by both or none. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about musical sci-fi, which is your idea. No, it was a Discord idea. It was a Discord idea. I was certainly enthusiastic about it then. So, like, you know, I'm not going to complain. But we will be talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer's Once More with Feeling and Strange New World Subspace Rhapsody. And that should be fun. Although, Dan, I'm actually not a musicals person. 
I am not a musicals person either, and yet I am looking forward to this recording. Let's put it that okay. way. Okay. Well, I'm a big fan yeah. of both of the properties we're talking about. So right. Exactly. I am optimistic. Yeah. And we're also going to talk about The Creator. Dan, you suggested this one. I did, because I have to admit, the, the trailers for this one keep blowing me away. This is, I believe, directed by Gareth Edwards, who also directed Rogue One, even though we always associate Rogue One with Tony Gilroy. It seems to be in a sort of near future in which there's a war between humans and AI. And, you know, it's got a pretty good cast. John David Washington, I think, stars in it, but there's a lot of, yeah, uh, a lot of good things. The trailers there. are really good. Yeah. I, I have some Concerns? reservations about it. Like, I don't okay. know what you can do with that plot line that hasn't been done before, but... It's possible. Look at this way. I'm not guaranteeing that it's going to be good, but you know what? Every once in a while, Anna, I think we actually have to go into a theater. Oh. I, I'm just going <laughs> to put it that way. Leave the yeah. house? I know. I know. Uh, speaking of leaving the house, Dan, how are you? Have you done anything? Have you, have you actually gone anywhere? Well... Yes, in that I've gone to my synagogue to pray, Anna, because we are recording this during the Days of Awe, which is the time between Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And this is the time in which we are supposed to repent and engage in acts of charity and just generally engage in self-reflection and also ask for forgiveness from others. So, Anna, I would just like to apologize for... All the times in the past year where I might have been slow in getting you scripts or <laughs> trying to think what else, you know. I think that the man interrupting you is Inter actually, I was going to say, so yeah. I could actually look up how much we interrupt each other because it's, you can tell from the recording. <laughs> and I am crushing you, Anna, crushing you. I make it a point to not look at that, which is like, oh, you know, the, the time of, you know, it, it gives a percentage, like who talks the most, right? Oh, no. I believe we interrupt each other pretty equally. And I also oh. believe that it is normal to do that kind yes. of. Yes. Yes, I would agree. No, no, no. I, I'm okay with that. And also, I do think that every once in a while, I think a lot of times, and this is a little bit behind the scenes, but a lot of times when we interrupt each other, it's almost, I think, due to a slight lag in terms of how we yeah. record where like we think the other one is done, so we're interjecting even though the other one is not done. I, I think we've actually managed, I, I would hope I've reduced the number of times I really, really interrupt you when you're on a good rant to a minimum. But you know what? I apologize for those times. I'm going to try to reduce that number even further. Let's see. So I was actually going to say, I said, I mentioned the word mansplaining and I don't want that to be a cliffhanger because what I want to say is that mm -hmm. I don't think you ever do that. Oh, Anna, that means so much to me. That really does. I think there have been shadows of that, especially at first, because I think sometimes, you know, ex you know, getting into the IR of something or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like. It, it, there are there's a few I, I think you you've upped the level of what you assume our listeners and i know that's probably true in order to avoid the mansplaining yeah. is, is the the thing yes let me put it this way there are times where we've where, how do i put this you have a, a great expression on your face sometimes where when i look at it, it's like oh damn i went into professor mode again crap you know like <laughs> <laughs> stand down stand down dresner stand down yeah, sometimes i i i will actually point out that you've done that yeah, oh, totally uh, and totally i guess fair. dan just in in the spirit of apologies mm -hmm. you're very patient with me 
about all my little quirks, all the things that I like my rituals and my need to like have things be perfect and be a certain way. And I know from living a life in which other people exist, (laughs) (laughs) those things can, you know, start to be irritating and you've been very patient. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. I actually, I really, I, I love these holidays for you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you know what? I think I, one other apology. I do apologize to our patrons every once in a while, you know, for a variety of reasons. And it's, it really is just sort of life interrupting. You know, we have not always gotten podcasts out on time, or we've said we were going to do one thing and then we call an audible and do something else. And so you know, we pledge to try to be a little more predictable in this coming year, but nonetheless have fun, which is yeah. kind of the whole point of this. Which is the only reason we do this. Yes. Speaking like, of which. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of which, why are we doing this, Anna? Well, Dan, you said, mm-hmm. please explain that this works for the Jewish High Holy Days. It really does in the sense that, you know, a, a couple of things going on. First of all, you know, the, the Jewish High Holy Days are based on a lunar calendar. It's the start of a new year. And this novel, in many ways, is all about this sort of end of a particular, you know, era and the beginning of a solar eclipse and so on and so forth. And also, I did want to offer a, uh, when I was praying at synagogue, I did want to offer this to Anna and to all of our listeners. It was a lovely prayer called Ken Ratzon. And one of the ways it translates is to may you find space, space to just be. And Anna, I have to say, when I saw that, when I read that prayer, I was like, you know what? I want to tell Anna that's what I'm praying for for her. That actually makes me a little emotional, Dan. Oh. I, because it echoes something, you know, sometimes life rhymes. And that is something that I have heard from other friends of mine that they would what they want for me is for me to just be able to take my life easy, like to not work so hard in ways that I probably don't need to. That's the important part. Yes. That there is a lot about my life that I can just let be. (laughs) Anyway, I thought of this book because Mm -hmm. I am fascinated by non Anglo high fantasy. Yes, like, which is definitely is. Yeah, and you know, there's there's a bunch out there these days. It's a growing field. This mm. is fairly unique. I'm I'm sure that there are other high fantasy, you know, Mesoamerica indigenous mm. plots out there, uh, but this is the one that has gotten the most attention, and I thought it would be got a lot of critical praise. Got yeah. a ton of praise, mm-hmm. so. So I put it on our list and I'm not I do not regret it. Good. I did want to ask you, Dan. Yes, Anna. What do you think a Jewish inflected high fantasy book <laughs> would be like? Well, there'd be a lot of guilt. That's that's the <laughs> for, let's let's get that out of the way. I confess I so we've we've talked about this and we might add a a, a Jewish high fantasy, you know, around Hanukkah. I confess, and this is my own version of Judaism, my one concern about this is that I suspect a Jewish high fantasy is going to lean heavily into the sort of Jewish mysticism stuff, the Kabbalah, yeah. Madonna, 
that stuff. And that is not my Madonna? favorite part. Madonna's yeah, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Madonna popularized Jew. this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, do you remember her Kabbalah yeah, phase? I do, I and she do. had this. Fa- yeah, yeah, I do. You know, like, and it's. I'm not a big fan of of that part. I'm assuming there's got to be a golem in any kind of of Jewish high fantasy, though. That'll be the key thing. Yeah, I texted you some some suggestions yeah. that I found from Googling, and I. I saw that in some of the synopsi. Mm-hmm. Ooh, synopsi. That's a good word. Nice, nicely done. But I think there's probably stuff out there. I'm, I'm yeah. optimistic we're going to find something. And we'll you know, find something. Yeah, I, 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 and I like the idea of doing that. On one of the lists was particularly meaningful to me, mm-hmm. and I thought of you, which was which was there. Yes, there is a Jewish Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have to admit, if we find the Jewish Narnia book, I might have to. We might have to do that just to. I think. Yep. I think. I think I can say I'm going to push it if you don't, because I find okay. the idea fascinating. So <laughs> we're going to do something in, along those lines at some point. But let's get back to Rebecca Ruin Horses, Black Sun. Mm-hmm. Will this podcast ruin it for listeners if they listen to this podcast before reading it? Like, is it going to ruin the book? I don't think so, Anna. I mean, the, the there's no, I don't think there's a plot twist in this book. I mean, I mean that literally in the sense that <laughs> there's a plot, and I don't mean to deny, like, there's plot, there's, there's tension. There's a little bit tiny, a few tiny things, but, like, I don't think there's anything that surprised me in this book, and I don't mean that in a critical way. I just mean that, that you're not going to, like, listening to this, we're not going to reveal a plot spoiler where it's like oh god that ruins it for the the whole book and of course as you recall when we do the book podcast we're not going to be diving we're not going to be diving too deeply into the plot so no i don't think it really will ruin it that doesn't mean you shouldn't read it i think you should but i don't think you need to read it necessarily before you hear the podcast and i feel like we should have a a name for the category that i'm about to describe which is yeah if you're interested in this book i would recommend you read it before you listen to the podcast Mm-hmm. You know, because it does have a plot and it unfolds oh, yeah. in some surprising, not not surprising, but there are things that happen that you don't necessarily right. see coming. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is telegraphed because one of the ways it's high fantasy is that it sticks to a pretty familiar, you know, arc. Structure. Yeah. Structure. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I got, you know, there's stuff that happened that was interesting. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, if you're at all interested, stop right now come back if you're only mildly interested well we may make you more interested and you can read it and you will not have had it ruined for you and we do need to come up with a word or we i think what we need to do is you know like um like defense conditions like defcon one and defcon five we need some sort of color there you go for this ruin one ruin two That's right. Ruin five is like we tell you the end of the sixth sense. Yeah. And ruin one <laughs> ruin one is we try to describe Southland tales and fail to you know, <laughs> fail to do so. Yeah. Or the gone world, which is there we the, go. Yes. the oh, plot God. that broke you. It broke the plot that broke me, yes. So previous experience, Dan? None. I did not even heard of this book, Anna, I'm ashamed to mention. Uh, so uh, glad I read it. So I heard about it right when it came out and bought it. And then it sat on my shelf for a very long time. And (laughs) it got good reviews and everything, but it just didn't call to me for whatever reason. 
And then, you know, like, I think we'd been on something of a white guy streak or something. And I, I thought, this is interesting. I do sometimes suggest stuff that I have been reluctant to dive into, but want a reason to, you know. So mm-hmm. that was yeah. that was kind of along these lines. And I'm I'm glad we did it. Yeah, this I enjoyed this. It has problems, which we will discuss, but I I, I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, no, so did I. Why don't we get to the story behind the story, Anna? And how to put this gently, reading the book, it was yeah, it was basically I suspected Roan Horse was like, hey, you know, Game of Thrones, what if we did that, but like not based on England, but rather based on pre-Columbian you know, America and Mesoamerica. Am no, I wrong a, in that? Is a, it's assumption? a kind of subtle appropriation, Dan. I don't know mm-hmm. how you picked up on it, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's what she set out to do. I am sort of curious about what you think of when you think it was like Game of Thrones. Like, can you just name quickly, like, what the things are that you were like, oh, this is Game of Thrones in Tim? I, I want to be very clear. When I say you know, Game of Thrones, in some ways, Aztec I'm like, world. No, it's almost an, how do I put this? It's almost a question of capitalism. In other words, Game of Thrones, I think, was when when the the HBO show started, that I think triggered a whole host of new fantasy series based on, you know, the sort of interlocking plots and multiple books and so on and so forth. So I I agree with you. There's nothing, there's actually very little that is, the similarity, the one similarity that I think is pretty strong to Game of Thrones is that I think both series have the same ratio of reality to magic, if that makes any sense. Which is one of the things I liked and found interesting about the book. You're right. I agree. The thing about it that I would say... Yeah, I mean, I understand you're kind of saying it was like a, a elevator pitch way, right? right? Yeah, this yeah, is the yeah, Mesoamerican yeah. Game of Thrones. Right. I would say that what makes it high fantasy, like Game of Thrones, is interlocking plots, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a quest narrative, several different quest narratives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And specifically like Game of Thrones, it's a world in which magic exists, but that people are kind of like, I don't know, really? Dragons? You know? <laughs> It exists. It's not paramount. And in fact, when it's actually deployed, it's unsettling to a lot of yeah. people, I think would yeah. be the way to put it. And and I think she walks that line really well. Especially yeah, I agree we'll talk that. about the main characters, but I like that yeah. the the priests have a have a spectrum of belief about ma- yes. about their own religion. Right. No, no, no. That, and that's extremely well done. So I, I'll talk a little bit about this. There's some pretty interesting stuff. She did indeed decide that there's a a paucity of fantasy in inspired by Native American cultures. And her argument is she she suspects this is because a lot of writers think of those indigenous cultures as being fairly primitive pre-conquest. You and I, because we've had to take history that goes back into that era yeah. for some reason, college, you know, mm-hmm. and probably a lot of people will know that is not true. Like mm-hmm. the South American native cultures had some incredibly sophisticated civilizations. The mystery of them is is how they, some of them disappeared, but they had sewer systems and high rises and, you know, ropes and pulleys to like sort of elevator things. They had very complicated trade. They had banking, you know, so much stuff that you can, you can pull from. So, that is a lot to pull from her, for her. Mm-hmm. And I think she did a really 
I don't want to say I call it a good job. What I want to say is I think she presented those cultures or borrowed from those cultures for her world in a really interesting way. And it's a very vibrant culture that she described. I think her visual... I would say, sorry, just I would say cultures, plural. I think yeah, one of the interesting right, right, things... Right. Of, one of the interesting things about this book is that although it's describing one place, it's sufficiently big such that there are plenty of different like little subcultures. And it's the interaction of those subcultures is actually quite interesting. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think that in her writing, she de- depicts them fairly vividly, the way that people dressed, the, their kind of the kind of homes that they have, what they find is important, like what is the commodity in that culture that is the most important thing. It's all about the cacao, baby. <laughs> it's all about the cacao. <laughs> I think my favorite subculture was the teak subculture, mm-hmm. which is actually based on Polynesian life and Polynesian Oh, I was sailors. wondering about that. Okay, yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of fantasy thrown in there. It's an all-female society and yeah. that I am hoping... I actually borrowed the next book from the library and I'm kind of hoping that it gets more into teak culture because there's some interesting asides. I, I had questions it. as I was reading about teak culture. Let's put it that way. Yes. Another thing that's interesting is she decided to have her one of her main characters be blind and mm-hmm. she had a disability sensitivity reader, which more and more authors do this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think she threaded the needle with this one. Not being disabled myself in that way, but I think she depicted blindness in a way that feels accurate without making the blindness itself magical, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He has superpowers, but it's not like because they're he's not blind, from... he has superpowers. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So yes. Mm-hmm. it's also a little bit based on the lost city of Cahokia, which is in Annalie Newitz's book about lost oh. cities. So Hmm. She has a thank you to friend of the pot, Annalie Newitz. Now, it was nominated for a bunch of awards. It got a lot of good reviews. She became one of Marvel's indigenous voices. Hmm. And then she made a short trip to Cancelvania. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. I don't think she's a full-time resident. Okay. But her first novel took place in Diné culture, which is Navajo culture. And it Initially got very good reviews, and then there was kind of a movement by Dene Navajo activists and readers to point out that that was not her culture. She's not Navajo, or she's not right. But then it kind of gets complicated because she was adopted by a white family, and that in and of itself is a whole. I mean, it is literally. There's a two-season podcast uh, that I like a lot called This Land that gets into the problems and the legacy of white people adopting Native children (laughs) and how it kind of screws up a lot of cultural legacies and cultural connections. You know, she, she doesn't have a bloodline she can point to. So when she talked about her lineage, some people said, well, she's not enrolled in those tribes. I don't want to get too far into it. Yeah, neither do I. I will just point out that she has removed references to the specific tribe that she claimed to be a descendant or to have a a connection to. And that might be the solution, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. she's she sort of said, okay, I won't claim that. And if you are interested in the problems that come with that kind of cross adoption, I do recommend this land. There was a big Supreme Court case over the Indian Child Welfare Act not too long ago. And with that, Dan, let's move on. Yes. 
Let us leave Cancelvania and enter Chekhov's. She had a pitch. short visit. It was just like she and her visa expired. <laughs> Left. I'm glad she's no longer there. Let's yeah. put it. Let's put it that way. Let's get to Chekhov's What's It. This is the thing that often appears in the first act of the book that winds up being relevant in the last act. Anna, what do you have? I have Chekhov's raising someone from the dead ceremony, which ah. is a little bit of a cheat. It's not it's really, really a cheat just because, a plot device. Right. And, and, <laughs> well, I guess Chekhov's way, What's It is a plot device. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we'll talk cool, about that. It's a good, it actually turns out to be a good head fake. I think. Shall I go ahead and explain it? Because we've already yeah. I want to. I'm, I'm yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, because I want to hear how you how you think this opening works. chapter. Right. You think Nara, Naranpa, yeah, is being killed or sacrificed. Right. Mm-hmm. By the end of the book, you understand this is actually a ceremony to raise her from the dead. Right. So, I think it. But I think that that worked. Like I kind of saw it coming. Like once. The characters are reintroduced, but mm-hmm. you know, this is where maybe I can conf- we did ruin this book for people. <laughs> no, I so actually, I did. Th- let me put it this way: this was something where, honestly, I had maybe it was because I didn't read it in like you know from cover to cover immediately, but I had forgotten that that chapter appeared in the first part of the book by the time I got to the end of the book. And this is a 450-page book. It it's reads relatively quickly, but it's, it's a long high, book. It's, it's epic high fantasy. Yeah, it's epic high fantasy. And I, so there's ways in which it's on me that I'd forgotten that, but like it wasn't until I reread that part. I was like, oh, right, okay. And so I wasn't as crazy about that, but I, it absolutely works for the Chekhov's What's It thing. My Chekhov's What's It, I guess, is Chekhov's Crow Benunda, who, you know, we do see introduced uh, midway through and plays a pretty important transport yeah. role towards the end of the book. Yeah. And if yeah. I, another criticism I have of the book, not enough talking animals. Yeah. <laughs> I was we, promised talking animals. There should have been like, there's, a, I wanted another chapter just about the crows talking amongst themselves. So yeah. Oh, I can point that out from the, the, the story behind the story. Crows uh-huh. do have very complicated social relations they do mate for life but are not monogamous if that makes sense but they they maintain ties with other crows and they will like gang up on attacker to one crow like if someone (laughs) so they are an interesting and specific choice that she made to have crows be the magical the most prominent magical animal although i also loved the choice of having a bug be one of the magical animals yes yes no, 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 like the whole, again, it did, let me put this way, the use of, the use of the Mesoamerican and North American, you know, not exact setting, obviously, but that feel, I think really worked for the book. And yeah. it, it made it very distinct from any sort of, you know, high fantasy that clearly had more European origins. But speaking of all those things, Dan. Let's get to our jacket blurb. So, you know, we do this with any book and or television show in which the plot is just too difficult to, uh, to break down. But here we go. Welcome to the Meridian, where peace has reigned for more than three centuries, after a treaty was signed in which local religions were put to one side in favor of a sun priest and a priestly caste. While there are still ongoing tensions, like the bloodletting of the Knight of Knives a few generations ago, when that same priestly caste slaughtered a lot of the Carrion Crow, things have largely been tranquil. The Meridian's spiritual center is in the holy city of Tova, divided between four sky-made clans and the poorer, more material dwellers of the Coyote's Maw, the rest of the Meridian is defined by the Crescent Sea, 
Some areas like the Teak, the War College at Hokoya, and the Port of Tovisha are mostly run by women. Other places like the Obregi Mountains or the commercial city of Koekola are dominated by men. A convergence is coming, which means a solar eclipse and a whole lot of people are preparing for the big celebration in Tova. The new sun priest, Naranpa, is trying to reassert the priestly authority, but she keeps running up against the priesthood's internal politics and her awkward status as an outsider from the Maw. Serapio, an offspring of a Tova woman and an Obregi man, exists as a vessel trained and blinded by his mother, Saya, to extract vengeance against those priests. Siala, an exiled teak woman, is hired by Lord Balam to ferry Serapio across the Crescent Sea to Tova. An exiled in- drunken sailor teak woman. Uh, no, just I'm just like I'm just being. I think that's cool. I like. Yes, her. yes. I think I figured you would identify with Siala. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she's hired by Lord Balam to ferry Serapio across the Crescent Sea to Tova in time for the convergence. Her crew is just a bit wary about the journey and having a teak woman for a captain. Siala finds herself detracted to the blind Serapio and his supernatural abilities. Finally, there is Akoa, a recent war college graduate informed that his mother has died under mysterious circumstances, leaving his sister as the new leader of the Carrion Crow clan and Akoa as her protector. As the convergence arrives, all our protagonists converge on Tova, and tensions come to a boil. Who will live? Who will die? For those answers, I guess you're going to have to read the sequel, Fevered Star. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anna, does that about sum it up? I think so. The stuff that I would add is that it's a very special solar eclipse. Mm-hmm. That it's not just a solar eclipse, but it's like the alignment of like the sun, the moon, and the sun and the moon and earth, I think. Well, that's not- the, yes, but that's all eclipses. The, right, eclipse can't but like us- isn't yeah. usually the most common one, just the moon comes in front of the sun? Yes. Well... No, are the we most, gonna have to Google this for our our listeners, Dan? We, we might, because like I think the most common eclipse is actually the Earth in the middle between the Sun and the Moon, which is why you have a new moon. But for like a we solar have people eclipse, who work for NASA among our leadership. Okay, you know Dan. what? We're gonna work. You know what? We're <laughs> not gonna look this up. We're gonna rely on the Discord to adjudicate this one for us. Which is, by the way, let me add another reason to become a patron of this show. Yes. So you can watch the Discord occasionally take Anna and I to task if we get the science shit wrong. I I shouldn't have even tried, but (laughs) it is a very special solar eclipse. I wanted to put that out. (laughs) I think the sun is at its weakest is the the way that uh, Roan Horse kept saying it. You know, that stuff I kind of just like breeze by sometimes. (laughs) Also, I think it's important that the Knight of the Knives happened specifically because the cult of the crow was gaining power and influence. Mm -hmm. And that is a threat to the sun priest caste, which is Mm -hmm. the dominant religion that everyone has like apparently like voted on as being (laughs) the one that basically all of the religions (laughs) they're just pretending don't exist. Even though this cult is clearly gaining power as the convergence is approaching. Was it called Obana or something? I think. Oba is, I think, crow. Yeah. So, yeah. And I found that whole part interesting, and I did think of you, this idea <laughs> that these cultures would come together and be like, no, let's pick a religion. You know, we've been <laughs> fighting too much. <laughs> Belief is fungible. You know, <laughs> believe one thing, believe another thing. What it, You know, we'll just pick some gods and... <laughs> not worry about what everyone wants to worship we'll just tell them what to do so that 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 seems like a great idea that work out in real life dan does that 
I don't think that's ever happened in real life would be the way. Oh. Or let me put it this way. It, when it has happened, usually Jews get killed. I'll just leave it at that. Like that's well, usually what happens. I guess you could say like papal, like, you know, declarations or something like that. Just in the either, sense that like, I find, either, I find that part of Christianity fascinating where people are just like, nope, this is what he meant. Mm-hmm. No one argue. This is like, I, I, I got it. I heard. And let's just say it rarely (laughs) sticks would be the way to put it, including in, you know, Christianity. So, you know, usually what's what's done is like, even if everyone says it, you know, you just ignore what what goes on, which is, by the way, kind of what happens in this book. So that's entirely fair. All right. Well, uh, you know, speaking of religions, Dan. Yes. Mm -hmm. How is this science fiction different from all other science fictions? Well. For one thing, obviously, the Meridian is clearly based on pre-Columbian civilization. That is definitely a new thing. I don't think I've read any sci-fi that, you know, re- that relied on on that as sort of the the origin story. The religion is all, as you say, is also something that I think is interesting because while there's been a lot of sci-fi or fantasy that where religion plays a role, I think what I liked in this one was the sort of sophistication that Roan Horse brings to the religion, which is on the one hand, you have this priestly caste that in theory exercises, you know, complete ecclesiastical authority. But in point of fact, there are actual, you know, cults and or, you know, more, for lack of a better way of putting it, peasant-based religions. That's not, I'm not sure peasants exist in this. Uh, Folk religions. Folk religions, yes, that exist, that they are, they have to deal with. What's interesting, you could argue, is that in contrast, the way Christianity very often dealt with these, you know, there was the brute converting people, but very often what Christianity has done is taken those folk myths and just incorporate it. I mean, I'm pretty yeah, sure Merry that's Christmas, how. Dan. Yes, exactly. I'm pretty sure that's where the Christmas tree comes from. Not to mention Halloween. So you know, it's whereas in this in, in this, in this it's novel, just pure it's not, power. In this, it's yeah, just exactly. a, Although it's power, and also I think, and this is sort of an interesting IR part of it. I think, which is that kind of the knowledge that if we let these other religions flourish, then we mm-hmm. will fight again and we are tired of fighting. I mean, there seems like it was a sincere desire to make peace. Yes. The other interesting like I, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't colonization. I don't that mm-hmm. that's sort of interesting. No, it wasn't like we're not. trying to subdue yeah. these people. It was we keep fighting about religion. <laughs> so well, I will say one of the most interesting things about this, I think, is that you know people would say, oh, it's it's pre-Columbian. The key thing is by pre-Columbian, there is no external invader in this or yeah. colonizer in this novel, which was, I, I think, frankly, refreshing uh, in a lot of ways. And th- the other thing that was interesting, though, for me was that there's clearly an ecclesiastical structure, and I assume that's also the source of political power, but there's not a ton of like secular authority in this Not in this. There book. are ruling castes. Sort of. I mean, there is in Toma, but a, like we don't we don't learn much about the rest of the, no, the Meridian. You're, you're, it, we may discuss this later. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> in a different yes, section. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Got it. But I think is there anything else that? As I said, this this is the you know the the overarching plot did feel kind of Game of Thronesy in the sense of like it's all building up to one great convergence and i confess maybe it was just because the, the word sky kept being used around i don't know if you ever watched uh, brooklyn 99 but you know in brooklyn 99 they kind of made fun of the game of thrones thing they created the skyfire series and if like to hear uh, jake and terry talk about it 
I have to admit, I could see them getting into Black Sun in the exact same way. Well, to my mind, there are a few things uh, not specifically around that. Mm -hmm. There's a number of gender fluid characters. That's correct. And I think, again, not having that in my personal experience, but having some of the people in my life, they seemed well handled. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. And they're pretty matter of fact about that stuff. What I didn't so much like, and we might talk about this more in the character section, is that none of the gender fluid characters were main characters. Correct. I mean, I only think were there two. I mean, I think there were only two there's or three. Two. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a reference. I think there's some references to like others, but like there this was is one, the first yeah, book yeah. I've ever read where the Z and Zer, the X. Yes. Pronouns X-E are and used, X-I-R, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I'm kind of in favor of those because, like, I hate it that... Here's here's me doing a religious, like, pronouncement. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, people fight about that sh- shit so much, and it's just a language thing more than anything mm-hmm. else. <laughs> I mean, sorry, it's not just a language thing, but people say it's a language thing. So let's right. give them a language solution. I will admit, this was one of those things where when I first read that, I was like, what the hell? Am- oh, and then I, like, I, I understood, but I was reading and I don't know, maybe this was a vestigial like conservative reaction. I was mildly irritated by it, but as I kept reading it and got more used to it, I really stopped caring about it. So maybe I think in the end you might be right about that. To be very clear, what I mean is the people who say they don't want to be bothered about pronouns, what they insist is that it's just a matter of being bothered by having to say certain pronouns. (laughs) Right. And I will say this is a way of handling that, at least on the page. Yeah. You know, that if we we did this in, in actual spoken conversation, it would be, there there would be like the brutal gif or gif wars, but I think it would work. I also, we already talked about this, but I I did love that magic isn't like completely accepted. Right. It's interesting. That doesn't happen a whole lot. And this is something that I think Roan Horse does a really good job of dealing with, which is their characters in this, I, like one of the things I I truthfully love is that Shiala, who has some magic, I mean, like mm-hmm. she's clearly got her own abilities, but is very skeptical of the idea that Serapio might actually be a vessel of anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like until the very end, so like you know, it, it, the skepticism is is equally sort of distributed and entirely appropriate. And so like I think it, it's handled in such a way that on the one hand, these people are by and large like not used to dealing with magic on a daily basis, so they're pretty skeptical. But then when confronted with evidence that it exists they don't reject that out of hand. They're like, oh, okay, this is a thing. And a really important plot point, actually, mm-hmm. is that the priestly cast at the Sun House yeah. that don't personally believe. Right. And in fact, they don't believe that they are vessels for the god that they're supposed to represent, but it turns out they are. <laughs> that, I thought was, yes. that I thought was kind of funny. That, like, is, <laughs> that is true. You know, actually, weirdly, that reminded me of Kevin Smith's dogma, where it turns out like the, yeah. the bishop, like, you know, even though he's clearly not a believer, he nonetheless plays an extremely important part, you know, in the plot. Yeah. So, and so to be clear, since we've already ruined some stuff, what happens is, so there's these four different clans or, or mm-hmm. Sky made clans, yeah, yeah. Sky made clans, and each of them have a representative in the Sun House. And three of them are just like, yeah, we're just people. I mean, like, whatever. Religion's fine. <laughs> like, they don't, they don't, they're not very, you know, pious at all. Mm-hmm. And they don't think of themselves as vessels of right. the God that they represent. They think of themselves as political actors only. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And kind of interchangeable. And then it turns out when the 
when the revenge vengeful god comes oh yes. no <laughs> like, oh no your role that counts trust me you're, it's gonna be pretty you important represent your god and i have to kill you yes exactly yeah 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 there is a bit of the god inside you you are a vessel of the god sorry you know it, i thought so, that was it was not supposed to be funny obviously but part of it was like oh yeah that's what you it get. was ironic is i is yeah. i think the word that i would use here all right so let's move on to the characters mm-hmm Okay. I mean, there were three characters that I found very compelling, and I suspect you found them compelling as well. The first one, which I suspect is your favorite as well, was Shiala. This is the the teak woman slash sailor slash captain slash drunk. You know, Although I would say she doesn't seem like an alcoholic, not that I'm one, you know. There you have. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, it's possible to drink a lot and just, you know, really just want to drink because you're like got some fucked up feelings, mm-hmm. you know, like. And that's where I think she lands. Right. I, I think one of the things I liked is, I, I, let me wait, Shiala was the character that I thought Roan Horse dug the deepest in terms yeah. of like her internal, you know, thinking or internal monologue. And one of the things I really liked about that, those sections of the book is how Shiala always is thinking about how she's presenting to the rest of the crew, how she has to be the captain. Even there are times where she might want to drink, she's not going to because like and and is able to immediately rule it out. So I agree with you. I don't think she's actually an alcoholic now that I think about it. But she and, likes a good time. Let's put it that. And way. I will say, Dan, that is a very accurate portrayal of what it's like to be a woman navigating the world. A man's world. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, you have to constantly be thinking about like how does sure. this look? And who yeah. am I who am who's gonna be an ally? Can I trust this person? Are they right. taking me seriously? Are they condescending to me? And importantly, if I t- if I show too much power, mm-hmm. does that mean that I will alienate them? Yes. If I become too competent, it was exhausting. It's, I hear it's exhausting being a woman. On is that correct? <laughs> I mean, you know. But th- the fact that you got that, yeah, is a testament to like her to roan horses your work yeah. yeah because it's just very true like because that's mm-hmm. what happens with Zyla is that once she shows the extent of her powers her crew is not happy like right they should be <laughs> no and that that again i think i honestly the portions on the ship were me the most the yeah. best parts of the book and part of it is that there's a sequence where there's a storm you know, we the the crew originally likes the fact that she's teak because teak are believed to have a song that can calm the seas. You know that she's clearly an expert in terms of dealing with the water. But when two crew members go overboard and she, you know, has to use her power to her fullest to rescue them, I believe she turns into a mermaid. Is that yes. the yeah? That was the the they, and they that freaks them out. And the result is is that they they react and badly to it. sort of understandably. But she did save someone's life. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a, a gender thing that they just can't stand. They cannot handle it. Cannot right. they clearly, handle it. Yeah. And they want to kill her. I mean, it's... Right. You know. Okay, so yes, she is both of our favorite. Mm-hmm. Continue. I was surprised by this because I wasn't expecting to sympathize, but I found Serapio, who, you know, is the sort of blinded vessel. He was a compelling figure as well. I, and again, you know, we discover a little bit of his backstory and... First of all, I, the relationship between him and Ciala was actually, I thought, very well done. Weird w- sex scene, but yeah, yeah, very weird. I mean, I guess we can talk about it now, but like, yeah, he gets her off, and that's like mm-hmm. it. Like, which, and he also the thing that okay, what I hated about it is like yeah. I'm going to give you a gift. I think is the what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
You're you welcome, Siala. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like that gift is pretty freely obtained. <laughs> okay. But you know, you know what? You know what? Like, it, so he, what he said, what he's saying is like, I'm going to make you come not, you know, and I'm going to do special or whatever. I mean, I understand like in the context, he has to remain a virgin yeah. for the whole thing. How do I put this? Maybe the metaphor is, is that, yes, you're correct, Anna. Obviously she can, you know, do that, but it's the difference between cooking for yourself at home and going to a really <laughs> nice restaurant. Correct. It is sort of like, then the metaphor is, and I'm a really good cook. I've never done it before. <laughs> I've never made a single dish. Yes. I'm kind of operating just flying blind here. <laughs> but trust Literally. me. Literally. It's good. All right. Trust me. But trust me, it's going to be awesome, even though I've never, ever cooked before. <laughs> And it's the thought that counts, I guess. He, it does wind up being awesome, apparently. So. Apparently, it's pretty good, yes. You yes. Know, but anyway, like, you know, I, the point is, I like their relationship a lot. luck, kind of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, let's put it this way. I think she was ready to, to, oh, to yeah. die no, and I whatever. Mean, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, you know I, I'm, I'm being a little bit picky but just because that one line of like, fair I'm going to give you yeah. this gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely fair. I think that's that, that's really. Which I, I but, didn't laugh out loud. And then he ends it with, "No, it was you're the one who gave me the gift," which <laughs> is just corny. Like, <laughs> but he was I a just, good. I feel like that whole thing, the same series of actions could have happened, mm -hmm. handled slightly differently in dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there. Come I can across differently. I will absolutely concede that point. I think that's so. believe this way. That was one of those scenes where I wasn't expecting that to happen, and yep. I was pleasantly surprised. Like again, it's like you know, you always want much as want, she was right. Exactly, you want moments in <laughs> <laughs> you want, but you want moments in stories where you are surprised by the plot, and then when you think about it, it's like okay, you know what? That's actually good consistent yeah. character. What I found beautiful about that relationship and mm -hmm. that is the if you'll pardon the phrase the climax of <laughs> their relationship yes is the build-up as you as usual which is the when they go through the market and the city together and she's right. describing things for him and he's like, that is the true in intimacy right like that yeah. is the actual intimacy being portrayed and what happens in the spa hotel hotel spa yeah is is the, the consummation as it were yes yes of of that but i found the i found their journey through the city and in her describing things and the him mm -hmm. and chocolate there's act that's a this is yeah. kind of a weird thing to specify but you've said before sometimes the describing food is a really good place to see an author kind of show off their yeah skills and i thought the description of hot chocolate was really great <laughs> it really was yes <laughs> i know and I, I mean roan horse even has i mean serapio says later that was the happiest day he'd ever had and so like and you and you and it roan horse makes that believable and i should say hot cocoa i guess it's not like hot chocolate like we have it is the kind of what is sometimes called mm -hmm. mexican hot chocolate right Right. it was mexican like, hot chocolate with lots of chili yeah. Yeah, or i guess yeah. in this case meridian hot chocolate hot chocolate yes. all right go, the, go on go on the only other the other character that i really liked i think um and you know you were speaking of wanting more gender fluid present characters i liked ikton who was the Head of, the, I, I think, chief of security, basically, or you know, well, his head of counterintelligence. Knives clan. Yeah, yeah. The point is, is that Ikton Roanhorse does a nice job of presenting Ikton as sort of 
a character always knows more than he let than she lets on. She. And yes, and in that sense was well done. I wanted more Ikton would be the way I would put it. And that is a case where I also thought that the gender fluidity was handled in a way that seemed to me, I, I, I got it. Like I understood that this character kind of was in some space. Well, th- so I confess either male or female and the physical description rang, mm. you know, I, I feel like I could see the character. So I think that worked for me. Okay. I, I don't know. If I it, see. I see your face. I, yeah, other, I don't know. If the it, listeners don't see it, but I see it. I don't know if it quite worked for me. I mean, part of it is because everything I saw, Victon presented as male. I guess you know, with the exception of the pronouns, and so yes. Although I think I don't know. This, I can just kind of see like a beautiful, beautiful person. Okay. Who. I, Reads has mas- has some masculine, and also mm-hmm. you can present as mainly masculine and still be gender fluid. That's absolutely true. Also, I like the idea that someone who would be basically in charge of counterintelligence, you could see how gender fluidity might actually be an asset in that position. That well, and understand in like yeah, presumably being able to kind of slip into both of that kind of ways of thinking, having it having a feel right for exactly. the entire spectrum yeah. of socialization mm-hmm. or thinking yes. or however you want to put it. Anna, were there any characters you liked that I failed to mention? I thought Naranpa's brother has uh, real potential. Okay. Introduced yes. late in the game. Right. Like I think that like, the crime boss mm-hmm. who kind of raised himself in the maw in the cry of his maw. Yep. He has a, it's a, a pretty believable reunion that they have. Uh, and I, I liked him. Uh, I liked Okawa a lot, actually, hmm. uh, mainly because he rides the crow, I guess. <laughs> but, um, and I, I actually also like Serapio. I think, I think both of us have pretty, you know, real problems with it, but there are some places where she pulled off really tough stuff. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the portrayal of blindness in general, and I think also with Serapio, the idea that you could be a vessel for a god and still have like human concerns, human insecurities, human doubts, human desires. Mm-hmm. Like yes. he seems like a real person. Mm-hmm. And yet also when he when the god inhabits him, that you makes believe sense that the too. god inhabits him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think that that worked really, really well. There is a character, you know, I'm just bad with names in general. There's a character, the rival priestess. Oh, the passive aggressive one. Yes. I didn't like her. I'm supposed to like her, but she is the mean girl. And that is like, it's a good portrayal (laughs) of the mean girl. It's a ba. I think it's a ba. A ba? A ba. Yeah. Yeah. And she has a heel turn that I think is pretty funny. Yes. Yes. No, no, no. I, I, you're right. Like a ba was the, uh. She was the Heather. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Dan, I think we've discussed sort of the parts of the book. So mm-hmm. now we have to go a little more in depth. So I have a question. Yes, Anna? Is there IR in it? You know, apparently, Anna, I don't want to have a good time with fun, attractive people. I want to be recording a podcast <laughs> and talk with you about IR instead. 
It's a good thing you are also a fun, attractive person. I'm just going to like leave it at that. And then I love talking about whether there's an IR in something. And oh, by the way, there's definitely some IR in this book. Oh my God. Even yes. I could see the IR. Yes, yes, yes. I think the two the the two dominant things I thought reading this book that, that are clearly about IR was first, there's a lot in this book that's really about leadership and whether it's possible to lead when one is in the minority. We see this with Naranpa in the tower because even though, you know, she's been in the priestly caste for decades, she's from the Maw, and that clearly is an issue. We also see it with Shala on the ship because, you know, again, even though she's teak and there are ways in which that's an asset, there are more ways in which being a teak woman is a, a problem for her. I do think that that actually the contrast between the two of them, Roanhorse does a good job of sort of showing how information is in some ways, you know, and, and a good theory of mind is the way the key to being a good leader because Shiala can clearly read everyone on the crew much better than anyone else can. Her and EQ is very good. Yes, exactly. And this is where I found, frankly, Naranpa a very frustrating character. And and I it's not I don't think this is a criticism of Roanhorse. I think she has to be a frustrating character because I think she set her up as what? being Yeah. I think Roanhorse set her up as being blinded by her own optimism right. and her own idealism and also kind of set up to fail by her predecessor. Yeah. She's the naive Patsy and it's frustrating yeah. to read though, I think is the, yeah. is the thing. So, you know, but the, the, the contrast between the two of them is, is very good. I think what this book does exceptionally well, probably better than a, a lot of other books that I've, I've read in, in this kind of genre is show how old cleavages can reemerge with just the slightest nudge. You know, in some ways, there isn't international relations in this book because this is all supposed to be one single polity, as it were. But, you know, with just the slightest perturbation, you see on Shallow's ship, among the clans in, in Tova, frankly, between men and women. Again, something else that she does well in this book is the gender stuff is there. There's gendered politics. It's not the paramount thing, but it is definitely a thing. Um, and it's one of those sort of cross-cutting cleavages. And obviously between the different parts of the Meridian. One of the things, again, Roanhorse does exceptionally well is, you know, you get the sense that the Teak are very different from the Obregi, who are very different from the Tova clans, who are different from the Hakoya women and different from Quicola. You know, it's 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 all, there's a lot of cross-cutting cleavages and at any time they can lead to violence. I should add something I meant to put in the story behind the story, which is mm -hmm. that she is a Yale educated lawyer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're saying she's familiar with internecine fights among elites. Yeah. 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 Well, she went to Yale. I think her law degree is from elsewhere, but then she was a practicing lawyer for some time oh, in, wow, okay. in indigenous uh, native people law, native ah. people's law. So okay. yeah, I think she has a feel for this stuff that, that yeah. comes from somewhere. And, she, so and it's again, it's but some of the best parts of the book, I would say like the best parts of the book are for me, like some of the writing, it's not like beautiful, beautiful writing. It's no, no. gone world, you know, no, it's no, like, no. It, it's, it, it's functional. Fine. And there's yes. some stuff that you're like, oh, I can see. I understand what she's saying here. Like, yeah, I can yeah, totally yeah. see what she's describing. But the best parts of the book are the relationships and mm -hmm. this kind of politics. Yeah. No, the world building is 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 not over. Like, again, and I want to be clear, her world building, I find superior to Martin's because, Mar you know, in like 
the problem with Game of Thrones is not that the world building is lacks detail. The problem is the world building is just a wash in detail. Yeah. Where you're like, get to the fucking point. Whereas Roan Horse, I think, paints what Roan Horse does is as she's not a pointillist, but she she has just the right amount of brushwork yeah. for you to get the sense of all these various different places, and then she moves on with the plot, which is the way you should yeah. do it. Yeah. So Anna, now now that we're talking about you know, these sorts of things. I have a question for you. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this book? Dan, capitalism is a foolish man's crutch. <laughs> and one weakness of the book is that Roanhorse leans on that crutch pretty hard and doesn't ask many questions. You probably noticed this. Capitalism just exists in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in much the same way it exists in the real world, which you could say is itself a criticism. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But she has casts that are just casts, you mm-hmm. know, and she has classes that are just kind of classes. And there is money in the form of cacao, which is right. a, something that she's drawn from actual history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I think one of the interesting, <laughs> not interesting, a, a, a point where it might have been interesting to drill down is why cacao. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I think the way to put it is, is it that- fiat currency, Dan? Is it just like <laughs> the answer is yes, Anna? Although I don't, I mean, like unless you know. They, on the other hand, they do value the chocolate a fair amount, the hot chocolate. So there's a ways yeah. in which it is a it's a commodity currency. It is a commodity, but is it like, but is it fiat? Is it just someone like this many cacao is worth like X? You know, I mean, it. So she just does nothing. She just doesn't do very much. Well, one of the things she actually doesn't say, which I was kind of except that there is trade, but it's just kind of it's the it's the you're soaking in it way that we experience Mm -hmm. capitalism today. I was kind of curious. She never talks about where the cacao is grown. I don't think. No, that's what I mean. Like, would have been interesting to drill down on. Like, is it is it like gold? Is it Mm because they have gold? Oh, that's funny. I don't even remember the gold part. They have gold. They have jewels. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So why cacao? A uh, cacao is lighter. Cacao? <laughs> the answer is, is that medium exchange cacao is superior to gold. Oh, gold, I, uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it makes sense, but I would have been interested. And I suppose, I, I mean, I can, there's probably some Googling I could do to find out <laughs> why cacao worked. And I knew, it, I, I do know it was a precious crop. I do know that. Yeah. That is, I remember that much from my Latin American history class. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But yeah, there's just not there's just not a lot. It's interesting. I mean, she, I think her concerns are politics, which of course capitalism is there, mm-hmm. but not her concern, right? I, yeah, I think her concerns are politics, religion and gender. Those would be the things yeah. that I would, you know. And not the intersectional part of it where it intersects with capitalism and class and labor. It just kind of it just exists in like I said in the same way that it exists yeah. in this world, which means it's ripe for criticism, but mm-hmm. Not but that's good. not where she's going. Yeah, that's agreed. Where she's going. Okay. Rocks grinding against each other. Yes. Oh, good. 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 It's time for discordant notes. This is when we take questions from the patrons and answer them in the podcast. We have two really in good the questions. channel on our Discord that is called Questions from the Discord. Which, again, is another good reason to join the Discord. And the way you can do that is to become a patron. Just pointing that yeah. out. So Miranda SM asks, are there IR implications to the rise of non-European-based fantasy novels, of which Black Sun is just one example? And I would say to Miranda, that is a great question. To be clear, 
the existence of non-European based fantasy novels is not going to cause any change in actual international relations. <laughs> I don't know, Dan. I don't uh, know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a little skeptical about it. What I do think is interesting though, is that, and this is true within the IR community is that one of the, the, there's been a movement to focus more on non-European IR. The argument is for a variety of reasons, consistent with the larger sort of changes in the culture. But one of the interesting things about non-European IR is that it's pretty hegemony friendly. You know, the the whole idea of realpolitik and balance of power politics and so on and so forth is largely based on European history. And part of that is just due to the geography of Europe, which is there's a lot of mountain ranges. It's tough to actually try to conquer the entire continent. Unsurprisingly, balancing happens. But there are who won? I mean, that's why, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like- Whereas, <laughs> but if you look at China or Japan, you know, the, 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 the Pacific Rim, or you look at, you know, Central America or South America, what you discover, or for that matter, the subcontinent, there are hegemonies. In other words, there winds up being one large kingdom. It rises and maybe it falls, but, you know, there is a clear hierarchy, you know, and that's why when you look at, at Asia-based international relations prior to colonization, it looks very different. From, from the European system. And unfortunately, this is one of the reasons why the Chinese are really big on talking about what they refer to as Qianxia, which is the, the Chinese system of international relations in which China was at the center. And it was a very hierarchical structure. But there is actually a really complicated, one of the things I would love to see would be actual like North American treatments in fiction, because North American international relations pre-Columbian is actually pretty complex. There's been some work published at like things like the Iroquois Confederation, or the Creek Confederation, and those, would, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I think the the primary way in which it would be interesting is that it, it does allow for the development of very different norms and customs. You know, think the Confucian civil service system, which is very different from the way it worked in Western Europe. I know less about either the Aztec or the Incan cultures, but I suspect they have a few norms that are just a wee bit different from uh, the Europeans. One thing that I wanted to bring up is a possible real way that these books could have an impact impact on real world mm-hmm. politics is that there are going to be generations of readers and students, young people who for whom Game of Thrones is not the only option in terms of when they think about world history and when they think about how politics works. Yeah, that's and an excellent point. Yeah, that could mean a generational shift mm-hmm. that would happen anyway, perhaps. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you come into your, you know, political science learning Mm-hmm. With these various kinds of cultures already in, in your head, like you know that they exist, I think it makes for a different conversation once you yeah. get even to graduate school. So No, that's fair. I think that's 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 a good point. And just being exposed to alternative narratives also, I think, yeah. could be something. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over time. But speaking of alternative narratives, and you kind of mentioned this, but I'll expand on it. I think it would be so cool to see a high fantasy inflected retelling of colonization <laughs> like <laughs> are we gonna call it the white walkers because that's really what you know <laughs> oh my so good it's something in which like you have indigenous peoples have a real resistance mm. to the you know european cultures that came and i think that could be really cool Mm-hmm. And I also think sort of following on that and a little bit towards what you were saying about the Iroquois Confederation and whatnot, it would be interesting to have maybe something set in a not quite as far away 
milieu where we have actual functioning native countries right in america like right now reservations are considered you know their own thing but not really Mm -hmm. right like you know Mm -hmm. but what if they were like what if we had city states like an alternative history like like yeah Underground airlines or something where like the yeah 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 where we had like city states kind of just dotting the U.S. That would be actually kind of interesting. Yeah, I agree. That would be, and you could take it to fantasy by being making it kind of farther back in history, I suppose. Right. But just the IR implications of just having some random like no, it'd be it'd be fascinating. Here is a different country surrounded by this other country. For lack of way of putting it, we we'd have a ton of Swazilands. Huh. We'd have a ton of Swaziland. Swaziland is a country oh. that is completely yeah. surrounded by South Africa. So you would have the similar sort of setup. In, so I don't in know. That would be States. interesting to me. Yeah. We have another question from the Discord, Dan. We do. I think one of the best questions we've ever gotten. Yes, I agree. Go go ahead. Carrie asks, what giant animal would you like to ride? Yes, because in the, in the, the world of Black Sun, there are crows that essentially function kind of like dragons, I guess, for lack of putting it in, in Game of Thrones. You know, and my answer to this is obviously space dog. <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. So, Dan, I've got to go with Kitty. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, a dog is going to be a more dependable ride. That's yeah, that's I, the, the thing the is cat, the, the cat riding a magical flying cat is mm-hmm. going to go where they want to go. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the problem. Like, I, I think my my brain went to Space Dog, not because they would necessarily be the best fighters, but because I don't think they would try to kill me. Whereas right. Space Although Kitty... Uh, Kitty's a pretty good fighter, gotta true. say. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so we also... We have something, another section... Oh! Ah! <laughs> is the rook pieces of the rookery. Yes. Oh, oh no. Ah! It's a brief field. Yep. Dan, what do you got? Just a few things, I think. First of all, this is a harrowing opening chapter. Just worth pointing that out, and I will warn readers that the, this book starts with a blinding. Is the is there's no other way to put it? And I have to admit that I it was off putting. Yeah. It, it took me like the first fifty pages were a struggle for me to read. After that, I started getting into I think it as but, a parent, perhaps especially. Yeah, yeah, that was not good. So I just, just a warning. And I was, again, partially it was because she did it so effectively, but also it's deeply unpleasant. I liked the architecture of the cities she described. Tova especially is apparently like built on mesas, it sounds Mm -hmm. like. Yeah. And they're, you know, with deep ravines between them and they have bridges connecting them. And that seems like a cool way to set up a city. I don't know. Like, (laughs) I like that. I also liked the war college, which we didn't hear much about, but. I kind of like the idea of it. I was disappointed by the war college because when they said war college, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm yeah, on board with this. There's going to be classes. Give me this war college. And it's like, wait, what the what the hell is this? This is a bullshit war college. They're not they studying how to do What's war. funny is they literally mean teaching people to fight, which is yeah. not what yeah. a war college is. Not what we normally right. think of with a war college. All right, your, your turn. I had a powerful craving for corn cakes after reading this book. The food descriptions are pretty good, as we said, and like at the one that was the one commonality as near as I could figure out across the entire Meridian was that they were eating corn cakes, and I yeah, some of those. It, it it's a you know it is a high B 
plus yeah. for me in terms of a good read. Uh, I mentioned this before, but I really loved the teak navigational style, which is apparently based <laughs> on Polynesian culture, mm -hmm. which is not to navigate by the sun and the moon and the stars, but more uh, intuitive reads mm -hmm. of currents and wind yeah. and where birds are appearing. And, you know, Polynesians went long, long ways. Yeah. <laughs> doing this and i i had not known that that was a very different way of navigating and apparently you know mm -hmm. works i think i would have liked to have no again we talked i talked before about how like roan horse's world building is mostly in sort of broad brush strokes and you you get a sense of a variety of things there were things i was hungry to, to learn more about like Kuekola is supposed to be the commercial capital. I was kind of curious about why, you know, like just looking geographically, that was not an obvious thing for me. In fact, Tovashesh should have been the commercial capital based on the distribution of everything. Also, why is Kuekola more male dominated and Tovashesh more female dominated? I kind of wanted to know that too. Um, I, I was willing to accept that it was just different. That's fair. I just thought I kind of wanted to like one or two, exp you know, explanatory sentences for it. I feel like, perhaps what has happened is is not that she hasn't thought about that right but yeah, rather that she has thought about it a lot <laughs> <laughs> and this is just a snapshot of the world that she perhaps has created in her head like i think if we went to her and asked her these questions she might have answers for us yes you know? no i think that's like, true and i think one of the reasons this rises as high as it does is, is that it doesn't feel like those are blank spots, right? Like it doesn't feel like this just is a hand wavy thing. Oh it no, I like agree there, with that. There's yeah. a reason why these things exist the way that they do. Yeah. It's just, she has chosen not to put that in the book. Right. And I bet there's some good fan fiction. <laughs> oh, you know, there's, there's some Ciala Serapio fan fiction. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're yeah. talking about like slash. Yeah. But yes, I also exactly. mean, just like, you know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah. like, further stories and appendicide and whatnot. Yeah. All right. So is that it for you, Dan? Is that all your debris? The only thing I wanted to say, like, again, there are some moments of good writing. I, there was a, I just want to read like one quick thing where it's right before Serapio is going to leave Kuekola on the ship. And, you know, he describes the fact that he, you know, had no desire to linger in the foreign city that under a layer of fragrant black copal smelled of blood, hot stone, the sweat of laboring men and sour ambition. And, you know, that's a nice line. I, I like that. Yeah, there there are definitely spots. I feel like I don't mean to damn with faint praise, right? Like, mm -hmm. my general recommendation on this book is if you are interested in all in depictions of other cultures in fantasy, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is a great place to yeah. go. Mm -hmm. Like, you will not regret reading this. Mm -hmm. Again, with the faint praise. <laughs> Read it. Mm -hmm. You should read it. I would say, folks, read it. You? What would you say? Read it? I, no, I would definitely say read it. I'd leave it this way. I think I'm going to buy the next book. That would be the way to put it. Yeah. Like, you know. I couldn't believe it was available in my library. In my that's library. great. I just, like, but I, I will say, it up. that said, I was, and we, oh, we, we talked talk about, about this. this, right? Like, we do we have to talk about this. We talked about this. Yeah. The ending was annoying as fuck. There's no other way to yes, put this. I totally agree. It didn't, it felt like she just stopped typing. Basically, yes. There is no, like the convergence happens. There, and a great, it, it, great yeah. scene of, of the bloody battle. Right. And then 
that's it, basically. Like, we're not going to, you know, you, you're like, do you want to know what happens next? Hey, how about you buy this other book? You know, and he flies away on the back of a bird. Right. And then they disappear into the sunset. And yep. we don't know any of the political, you know, fallout or any of the personal fallout or. Right. It where Zyla is like, we don't yeah, know. Any Zyla, of that. Yeah, she just disappears throughout the, the last couple 50 pages of the book, I would say. And so, yeah, I wasn't crazy about the ending. And so, but that said, I'm intrigued enough by the plot so that, God damn it, she's making me think about reading the next. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I can tell you this much, which is it picks up literally like exactly where. <laughs> oh, no, I know because the, the version I oh, have a, yeah. has a, has like a sneak preview for the next chapter. So, you yeah. know, but, but that said, I wasn't crazy about that. And yeah, I'm just nitpicking. All right. I, I think we've covered everything. So let's let's start to close. Mm -hmm. If you haven't become a patron and you like this show, well, go to patreon.com slash space nation and become a patron. Please. It's a great way to support this show. We'd really and be happy. And also you can do a non-financial support of the show, which That's is true. to tell your friends and neighbors and yep. rate and review us. We always talk about the Discord as being one of the main reasons to join. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is. It's, if I was on the fence about it, especially with the disappearing cool social media options that we have, mm -hmm. I think that our Discord is pretty great. We got a bunch of awesome nerds there. Yeah. Although we are on social media, Dan. That's true. We are both on Mastodon. We are also both on Blue Sky. I am at Dan Dresner. She is at Anne-Marie Cox. Anna, you are also on Instagram, I believe. Yep. I am on Substack. I have a Substack called Dresner's World, which actually just celebrated its one-year anniversary, so that was lovely. Oh, congratulations, Dan. Yes, and things seem to be going well there. And I believe you have a website. Is that correct, Anna? I have a website where you can keep up with me. By the time this will, is out, I will have my cover story will, that I've been working on all summer long mm -hmm. <laughs> is finally out, and now I have to start thinking about the next one, but it, you know... I'm really proud of it. It's about America as a traumatized patient. And it was not fun to write. Mm. But it's also not fun to experience, it. by the way. So yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it in but it was it was really kind of cool to see it come together. And it's the first long, long read thing I've done in a while. So check it out. And then my website, I have writing workshops that I do. The next one will be uh, for health reasons. I'm not doing a fall one i canceled the fall one but the next one will be this winter and also i am doing a nano remo writing group which is national novel writing month in november there will be morning sessions that you can join and remember her website www.annamariecox.com that is correct spell this name just pronounce differently, differently. Yeah. anyway until next time keep this channel open for more Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.